Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to a brand new edition of Social Confos. I'm Shaluk, together with Diego, and we're back again. And so, starting next week, we get a lot of guests, but today we've decided to have a cup of. What do you have, Diego? It's actually empty. I forgot to refill it, but guess where I am? This looks familiar, right? Oh. <laughs> Back home after a very, very long trip. How was it? Yeah, it was long. Gotta, gotta give that to you. Like, yeah, it was long. I was looking forward to get, getting back like this weekend. Like really, really looking forward to. And my flight got canceled. Literally, my flight got canceled. So I was in DC one more day. Okay. Your flight from DC to Miami was canceled. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just Surinamese flights that get canceled. No, but believe me, <laughs> believe me, the the flight delays and cancellations in the U.S. is horrendous. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I had, for the, the last time I traveled, I also had a flight delay. Luckily, they fixed it quite easily. But tell me a little bit about Wi-Li, because now you're on Wi-Li alumni. So what can you tell us about the program? What's really something that you found cool or really stuck out? So just for some brief context, Wi-Li, the Young Leaders of America's initiative, is a program by the State Department of the U.S. And it's basically for all the Americas where business people, entrepreneurs, uh, leaders can apply for if they have a project idea. They've developed the program over the years because I've applied multiple times and every time I've applied, it has become more comprehensive. So the application process has become more specific. So you'll need to have run a business or a project for at least two years now between the ages of 25 and 35. So for young leaders and what you basically get is if you get selected, you get the opportunity to go through a very comprehensive curriculum to learn about skills, uh, venture capital, HR, basically business challenges that you could be facing. There's eight main categories. And with that, for your business, you apply and you get matched up with a host organization in the U.S. afterwards, which where, which why, is why we went actually to the USA, the, the group here, and actually everybody to be placed with a company that's kind of similar in industry, similar challenge, it, it, it really depends. And you get to spend a month with them to see how you could either collaborate or solve your business problem. That's, that's interesting. So tell us a little bit about what can you tell us? What are you allowed to tell us about your hosting company or host? So I got actually matched up really late. So they matched up everyone in different states. So I think it's 20 states in total where 250 fellows from all the Americas get placed. So on average between, I think 10 and 12 fellows per state. And some got matched up pretty early, like three months ahead. So they had a lot of time to meet up with their hosts, prepare, etc., to see if they're a match. 
other times it's a bit more difficult to get, get a match. In, in my case, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, it depends how you look at it. I got matched up really last minute and it was basically they called email different companies as well because they couldn't really find one and one like my application video. So they tried to give it a shot. So for me, in my experience, they're a great company, but I found the match was a bit too, even though industries and everything aligned, there was a mismatch in the scale as they were like, it was too big of a company, I think, to be able to really get hands on and, you know, really learn the ins and outs of, of the company because everything was efficiency and production and you couldn't really sit with the, the, the departments aside from an hour or two with different managers. It's interesting, but it does give you an idea how it would be like to scale, for instance. Yeah, but also some validations like the infrastructure there in the U.S. is totally different than the infrastructure we have here in Latin America and the Caribbean. They have access to resources in supply chain where we have to wait X amount of times, months to be able to offer certain things with confidence, right? Okay. Tell, give us an example. Give us something that we, that we are free to share publicly. Say you have a big brand company, like a franchise, a chain, a coffee franchise, for, for example, and they have like a hundred shops all over the state that they need to redo, rebrand every two months. They can just call suppliers and see if they have materials in stock and they don't even have to buy in the materials yet because they have that supply chain. Whereas here for these types of advertisements at that scale, you can say, yeah, I can uh, provide you at this price, especially with the unstable e economy here, because the process takes at least like six weeks. Minimum six, six weeks there before it goes through approval and production. Whereas here, people want it like, yeah, next week, in two weeks time, X amount of shops where you don't even have the materials and supplies to be able to deliver the job. Okay. I'm, I'm going to share an experience of something that recently happened that got me thinking about this. So I can't tell anything about the assignment. But we were given an assignment a couple of weeks back. And this was the first time that I had to deliver something that will only be used more than 12 months from now. Like that was yeah. the first time for me that I had to produce something that I was, our team was, our company was asked to produce something that would be used over 12 months from now. That's. I was surprised because this is a surgery's company that works that far in advance. That's that, actually great. <laughs> that actually means like it is possible. People do plan ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I thought I had time, but I don't have time because I have to deliver because it has to be done now because of course, because of the supply chain. So yeah. Very interesting that you mentioned that. No, the supply chain, especially in print and like physical media, it's like extremely a big constraint here because it's there's a shortage of materials worldwide even they had a shortage and they're huge <laughs> they're like a big big uh, millions of dollars of revenue every month so how does this work 
because we're used to social media fast-paced. So how do we do this, like compared to offline media? How does offline media go about with trends, current trends? I would say they're very, at least the, the, the company I was placed with, they focus on influencer packaging. I, I, I guess that's what they, where they stand out. It's just one of their niche services where they custom build influencer pack, just like sometimes you see influencer with special boxes, opening a product, etc. That's what they do, like design it from the ground up, like a, a Nike shoe in a, like a 360 box or something or, or whatever, a new game comes out and they make a Minecraft something. So that, that's something very interesting they do and kind of been looking, uh, talking with different managers, the creative process, how that goes and the, and the sales. So basically they, they just, you know, sell an idea and he, he, and then they go to see what's possible and that has to match the client's budgets. One, one thing that's very different or that I haven't seen here is like either companies don't have a budget and they say, yeah, what can we do with this? But oftentimes the bigger brands, they have budgets for specific things. So they, you can easily match that up like okay, we can produce this and you have to take into account the, the creative work that goes into that process as well. And if, especially if it's a long-term client, you got to balance it out, you know, from a future project, you can balance that out into a current project just to deliver, deliver it. I don't want to go into too much details because. Okay, uh, no, it's good, it's yeah. good. So we, we've covered that a that, little bit. That, that's my host experience, okay, but that's, that, experience. that's just a host experience. One host in one state and then you move to the graduation part in DC. Yeah, just before I go to the graduation part in DC. Okay. So the, the host experience was, you know, hit, hit or miss. Some people had an amazing host experience. Others kind of totally fell apart. Mine was somewhere in between. And good still had a great relationship with them. But the great thing about the, the wildlife experience being in a city, like for four weeks with 10, 12 other fellows is that was the highlight for me, like meeting the other fellows from the other countries. And fortunately for us, we were literally placed in the same building, the same hotel. So you could really bond with each other, like network, learn about their business, learn about the their cultures, learn about how it is in their countries. And you see like, right, we have similar struggles within, you know, Central America, Colombia, depending on where it is that, you know, there's a, I, I heard that there's a really tech hub in Brazil now called Uberlandia and they, they do like venture capital with honey and stuff. So this is very interesting stuff you learn from these fellows. It's interesting that you mentioned Brazil because one of the things, one of the first things that I researched is the YouTube Partner Program. And the YouTube Partner Program has studios around the world. At least they had them. I know, I'm not familiar if they're still that active. And at a certain point, if you had 10,000 subscribers or more, which quite a, people, a lot of people in Suriname have, well, we might not have them, but quite some people in Suriname have 10,000 subscribers or more. If you have 10,000 subscribers or more on YouTube, there were certain locations with in different cities around the world where you could just walk into a YouTube studio and start creating content. And one of them was in Brazil. So it's, it's kind of interesting, like how certain environments give you a kind of like a competitive edge, because if you would have like a space 
in, in Suriname, and I'm advocating for this quite a lot. If you have a space in Suriname where you as a creator can go once a month to create content, but like a really professional space where you have all the necessities to, to create the content, that's one of the most amazing things to, to have from a creative perspective, of course. And of course, there are other options and other solutions as well. But if you just are in that environment, and I think yeah, most it, 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 environment people, people that think similarly, it's a big difference. The, the, the other example I want to give is when we were in, in Panama for the inaugural flight of Copa, and we were there with a group of, I think, at least five creators. It, it's less weird to walk around with a camera yeah. and vlog when it's the five of five of five people that when it's just you, you know, you're walking on the street with a camera in front of you and people are like, and then you have, of course, the version where you walk with somebody with a camera behind, that's completely different even because then it starts feeling like either a documentary or just plain weird. And, but when you're like with five people all flogging at the same time, you kind of get into a zone, you kind of catch energy off each other, making it easier to do something compared to like when you're all alone. And I guess it's the same thing with especially solo entrepreneurs. Yeah. Some of them have like teams of 10, 20 people. Some of them were solo entrepreneurs, but even though for me, like I had a generally good experience, there is a very strong, I, I'm not sure if bias is the word, like when you hear Latin America, Caribbean, it still feels like you. We are far outnumbered when you're in a cohort, but nine of the 12 people or 10 of the 12 people speaking Spanish, and you're the only one who can't really communicate. So you, you, you get that group, a different group dynamic. So for me, I was able to, you know, still assimilate with the group, but other people kind of felt from what I've observed and what I've heard in, in the different states, like that being outnumbered by the, the Spanish speaking Americas, it's kind of also a, another bias or disadvantage, especially on the competitive stage that the, those in the Caribbean are always in the underdog position, <laughs> even in the U S. So how is your Spanish? If you, if you read it, is your Spanish um, better than your Chinese? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. like my, my, I had to read my Spanish at three, my Chinese at three and a half. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's, let's pivot from the, from the host experience. And like you said, the best experience is being around those people. You managed to integrate or assimilate quite well. Then you moved to DC. Yeah. So DC is basically the closing program about like I think three or four days, one, like all the 250 people go into DC for special closing program. I forgot to mention, like everyone had to submit like a, what was it? A 90 second pitch as well, uh, as part of a competition for their solution. And each state had then like the top of each state went into the semi-finalist. Uh, so 20 semi-finalists and out of those 20, 10 were selected to present live or pitch live during the closing ceremony in DC. And I, I actually got uh, selected for Portland. I was a semi semi-finalist uh, for Portland, basically. So that, you know, you, you got to play the cards that you have. And 
I used the limitations very creatively and, you know, I had good relationships with everybody. So that kind of uh, gave me the edge, but yeah, that there were strong biases going on in the background. So um, what if, that's something that happens everywhere though. Yeah. So it's, and it's you, good you to have that experience to understand. Those you have, well, once you understand that it, it, it also shows you, yeah, it's a very human thing, I, I would say. It's very social thing, even though it's, you enter it with expectations of, you know, you have an idea business, you may have the best plans in the world on paper, but you still need to engage with people. And I don't Simon even says very, very. <laughs> yeah, Sa Simon, we need to get you on here. Uh, yeah, Simon, talk about you. It's a good introduction to to actually invite you as a guest for social. No, he, he's already been invited. He's just oh, okay. With, uh, okay. Uh, we just have to set a date. Avoiding the date. <laughs> I quickly want to jump into Sharissa's uh, comment on supporting the creative space. The creative space is going to come. The creative space is going to come one way or another in the next couple of years. I'm really trying to get a couple of companies together that would benefit the most from it because in the end, it has to be a win-win. Casey Neistat did it on, on his own in, in New York, just created the space out of thin air just because he wanted to do it and felt great. But I think we need in Suriname a much more structured approach. We need some, at least some backing from, from bigger companies to, to have a proper creative space. And there are already uh, a couple of initiatives. Yeah, because it, it is an investment and especially if you want to up production with these new corporate bigger companies. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take some time, but it's, it's something that between now and I'm going to be careful, I think three years from now, we should be able to have a proper creative space, which can be rented out or you can use specifically for content creation or creation in general. And there, there are certain spaces they've been connected to certain organizations, certain companies. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting that bigger cities, especially big cities around the world kind of have these spaces, which are predefined pre already for, if you, for instance, have a lot of YouTube subscribers, whereas smaller creators have just first have to prove themselves. But I do feel like we, it's, it's an interesting topic because we also talk about overrated, underrated quite a lot. So would you now say that networking is overrated or underrated? I would say even more underrated now. Like I was a firm believer in, you know, when your network falls apart, your network is there to catch it. So your network is or equals greater your net worth. Your net and is your net worth. I think, uh, who was it? Uh, a few months ago, we had Tyler from Hawaii on like that social capital. It is something very real that that's into play. So networking it, is. It does, does raise a concern, doesn't it? I, I see where you're going at, but that's where I think ethics and values play a supporting secondary role a strong pillar in, in that part, but, uh, I stand by it. Networking is severely underrated. If you're shy, not used to it, just practice, be yourself, but find your own way. You don't have to be the loud person, loudest person in the room to network effectively. Oh, you can just go on social media and respond to people. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, that's, I think one of the most underrated strategies there is like, if you want to network, but you're an introvert, start by just, just and genuine, genuine interest and genuine comments. Comments. If someone asks for something, give a genuine answer, refer them to someone, your name will pop up and people will start to recognize you. Recognize it. Yeah. Good one. Just a shout out to the people watching on Twitch as well. So. How was the, so what was, what was the one thing, because you're in a whole school, do you also get like, uh, training sessions and those kind of things, or is just you join yeah. the whole company? Uh, so got separate training sessions as well. Um, so the program went out like this, you know, they paired you up with the host company, of course, uh, the arrangement agreements you make with the host company depends on you and the host, uh, some can put the whole curriculum, some are hands-on projects, but every week there was like uh, the, the Friday where they had either like networking sessions or uh, training sessions. And these training sessions were specifically focused on the pitch. So we had a coach, like uh, a TEDx coach, because everyone pitch, etc. And I, I gotta say, like when I went to, you know, I, I didn't really prepare my pitch yet at, at that first meeting because we had to miss the first week because of a COVID situation. So we were kind of on a tighter schedule and I did, just did mine on the fly. It, yes, volunteers, I just went first and did it on the fly. So one thing I valued or what stuck by me is I'm very, the techniques or approaches I do was not common strategies. And the feedback that stuck for me with, from the coach was like, he basically said, oftentimes he won't recommend those strategies, but because you're the one delivering it, it works. And because he also aligned with the topic, it worked. So that kind of gave me some conviction validation on, you know, not, don't just follow the hand trails, but look at this is how you got to do a pitch, etc. Some things match your personality and you're the only one who can deliver it that way. But could it make it stronger if you use those guidelines? It could, yeah. but again, it was like based on your, you know, your personality, your charisma, etc. how you deliver it, he would not recommend anyone else deliver it that way, etc. So that, that was kind of interesting to hear, like, you know, you make it work because you own up to it and it's yeah. your way of attention. You. Yeah. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, okay. That's that's interesting. That's definitely interesting. Yeah, so that was one part. And then they had in the closing ceremony there were different like kind of cohort master classes and different uh, sessions that you could sign up for. I kinda of signed up for half of them, the other half, you know, because everyone would party that night, etc. So some people just slept away or, you know, or, or just tired in general. It was a pretty good experience. Okay. So, and then while I is done and you go. Yeah. So basically I spent another two weeks. So the, the program was five weeks. So I spent another two weeks traveling the USA. So I've kind of done the whole recap today. I think I sent you the overview. It was basically in my total of 53 days in the United States. I had a total of 11 flights and visited eight states. Okay. So which eight states? 
So you have, you have Oregon? Yeah. So I was in Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. That was for the, the host placement for four weeks. I did a weekend to Seattle, Washington state. That's north of Portland. You could just drive there. And then the closing ceremony was in Washington, DC, which technically is not a state, which I found out it's a district. <laughs> which is Columbia. Yeah. Which is a very interesting thing to learn about. It's a basically a 10 mile radius where basically the governing bodies of the US mm. are, but it's not a state. From Washington, DC, went to New York and the Niagara Falls. No. Then I flew to Utah, Salt Lake City. And basically I was in a south of Salt Lake City, a smaller town. Then I went to Nevada, Las Vegas. And from there, I went to the Grand Canyon, which is in Arizona. Yep. <laughs> and then I went back to Washington, D.C. and visited Maryland and basically Virginia. Yeah, Rui is also somebody who has been in five and was together. Which state did you like best? So here's the thing. It, it depends on what aspect of the state. So if you narrow it down, like... It's Give me your top three different. first. Give me your top three first. Top three and overall experience because I spent the most time in Portland and was able to experience that one the most. I'd say Portland. I I would put DC over New York just because of where I've been able to go. Previously, New York, I would rank it higher, but I would put DC over New York now. And actually... I found Utah quite interesting because of the landscape. Even though it was hot, I found Utah quite interesting. It was hot in Utah. Wow. That's an interesting. Utah is basically desert, man. Yeah. But so, so close. Like every time I went out, yeah. the, the, the view just didn't get old. Like, okay. You're, you're just surrounded by mountains. Okay. So. And if we're talking overrated, I say Las Vegas is overrated. <laughs> wow. So I guess I don't have to invite you for my 30th birthday then. No, just yeah. kidding. No, Matt, but that, yeah. that depends on the experience, right? The experience you're going for. I'd say if you're going to Vegas, Vegas is basically a, a huge theme park. And huge, expensive theme park to blow your money on. But I, I feel guilty. I never sent you the cheap option. But no, I didn't. Away, very, very far away in my PC. Actually, they're not even on this PC anymore. No, that, that's okay. perfectly fine. But if, if yeah. you're going with the intent, you know, group of friends, etc., cetera, yeah. and like going to eat and maybe for, a, for activity or a party, etc., then yeah, that, that's a... It's a thing you can do because a lot of things are pretty close and accessible. I do feel like, were you alone in Vegas or were you accompanied by someone else or a group? I, I was traveling alone all those days, okay. but I met up with people in each state. Yeah. No, I, I can't imagine that Vegas is a totally different experience when you're like one or two people compared yeah. to like a lot. So that's how I, I said. If, if, yeah, if, I can. I can. Depending on your intent and the, you know, yeah. how you're traveling. That that can make a difference. And and Utah, I mean, like Salt Lake City. I mean, it's called Salt Lake for City for a reason. What what did you experience there that you would say like 
just puts it into my top three. Utah is just, it's very, like population-wise, it's very small and it's very relatively flat, as in there's no urban jungle. Like maybe downtown Salt Lake City, yes, but it's relatively small and just the 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 view, the experience of the, the mountains, the, the surrounding area, that's just kind of a wow view. Whereas something like New York, it's like basically an urban jungle, which kind of you always have to look over your shoulder to see if, if you're safe. We have to talk about the topic of food. What oh my. Food? Yeah. No, I like the people I met up with, I got into food comas, man. I got into food comas. Okay. So, because that is complaining that he didn't come back feather that at all. Because I walked a lot, man. I walked. A lot. Like, and, you, and you watched a lot of sound downs in, in Utah as well. Yeah, you have that special kind of sunset because the sun sets slower with the longer days. So you, And especially after a cloudy or rainy day, you get this pink hue across the sky. So that, that's very... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Interesting. And the, the times I went, actually, I, I was promised heat waves and 45 degree celsius temperatures but when i got there like um, utah and nevada it was pretty relatively cool it was very cloudy it actually stormed in when i was in vegas like the day i went to the grand canyon we had our show last week on tuesday wednesday i went to the grand canyon it stormed i was in the grand canyon in a thunderstorm in the desert like lightning thunder like Everyone's photos constantly getting warnings, like flood warnings, etc. And when I got into Vegas that evening, like the wind was blowing hard. So I kind of stayed more indoors that night. And the next day when I left for my flight, when I was at the airport, it started storming again. And then when I arrived in DC, I saw a news article that like the strip in Las Vegas was flooded by the oh. rain. Yeah. Okay. So it was a very interesting window I was in that area. Okay, but just to recap. The food, you, yeah. you You saw the Grand Canyon? Yeah. And you saw the Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls, yeah. Niagara Falls. But both didn't make it into your top three state. So let's take that forever. That kind of tells you how good it was. Yeah. Like, I... I that's like Niagara Falls is literally like okay, a seven hour that, drive from New York City. Wasn't the Popeyes in DC that put DC in the top three? No, what put DC in the top three was literally my last day because my flight canceled. I expended extra day in DC and I got to see more of the outdoors and stuff in the park side of DC. And yeah, it's, it's not just, it wasn't DC per se, but basically the, the the state, Maryland and uh, Virginia around that area. So kind of that added to the value of DC. But yeah, the Popeyes in DC was pretty good too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the food, we're talking about Popeyes now. What food was better than the Popeyes in DC? Ramen, man. <laughs> Ramen. Like I found like a hidden gem or I got introduced to like a hidden gem. You basically go in a basement. I was in the Adams Morgan area. And then, like, they serve, like, genuine 
how hot do you want your ramen? Like, yeah. In DC and New York, ramen was the best food I had. I ate both places. I ate ramen. And in Vegas, I had an amazing Korean barbecue, like real Korean barbecue. Okay, you have to understand it because for a lot of people, like one of the same, out of everything ramen, like really, you have to understand this isn't the ramen that you go into the supermarket. And no, it, this is like ramen as in Japanese ramen with pork, beef. Of course, you have your noodles, but the, the broth is just amazing, man. And if, if yeah. you add a so spicy, it's the broth is the broth with, with also the type of noodles, because they're a little bit different than we know here. It's a really good meat often as well. I don't know yeah. how important the meat is for you, but for me, that's a pretty good deal. If I had to rank it, like you got to do pork, ramen, like pork, chicken, and then beef. Okay. Beef and chicken pretty similar, but yeah. Asians and pork, Japanese especially, like they make amazing pork, like pulled pork bun. But the, the, the pork, it, it, it mixes quite well Yeah, as well. I think that's, that's an important part. Daddy asked if it's the, if you're talking about the step or the place my sister goes. Like the, the, that place can't even lift a finger to this real Korean barbecue. Wow. wow. <laughs> Daddy's calling you out. I have to ask because I've been to a Caribbean. Korean barbecue as well in Koreatown in LA. And that was an interesting one as well, because it was in kind of some kind of second world war bunker. It felt yeah, like. yeah. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it was a completely different experience as well. And I like, we don't kind of know what it's like. It, it, there are certain places that there are lines that people wait in line to get food in Suriname, but not to stay there and eat, just for pickup. Yeah. And like in the U.S., there genuinely are places. You have to wait in line. in line for 30, 40 minutes. Like this, the ramen place in D.C. You a seat at a table and people don't have, eat. Yeah. The, the ramen place in D.C. Dinner time. Yeah. So when it comes to places like eating in the U.S. and eating in Suriname, like it's turned out, hey, it's busy. Let's go to the next place, you know? But this is like, no, we're eating here and we're going to stay in line for an hour before we get seated. That's something, that's something that, that, that I find very fastly different. Okay. So we had noodles and Korean barbecue. Is there something else that you like? Japanese barbecue. <laughs> so what, what about, what about, yeah, other like, kind of. Like, I, I went on a food yeah. tour basically. And yeah. if, if I can give one piece of a suggestion, if, if you go traveling, find a local, find a local to bring you to these hidden gems, like these places, that's where you get the best food. Yeah. Like not, not going on Yelp and <clears throat> no, the highest no, is... no, find a local. <laughs> Yelp is, Yelp is kind of a very amusing, but also a confusing place because the weird thing on Yelp is like, it, it's also, I don't know if it's an American thing where like employees or the agency that works for a certain restaurant goes to the Yelp review bar of the other restaurant to leave behind terrible reviews. 
Like I've seen that on Yelp. I've seen that on TripAdvisor. It's like, sometimes you're like, wait a minute, what? Is, is this place kind of, am I going to get bought at this place? <laughs> like those kind of things. Like you, 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 you become really picky off of hotels where you stay at because then there will be like 500 one-star reviews and they're like the worst thing, the worst thing she can read about. So it's, yeah, finding a guide, a local guide definitely should be, should be like right up there. Yeah. And if you can't find one, like truly, if you have friends who've already been like, they get, just get some names on like Sandra Pudin, send me some names. <laughs> no worries. I, I had enough information. So <laughs> yeah, I, I feel right now you should get on Hive and at least make eight posts. From every state you visited, you should make at least one high post. No, that, that is a very fair point. I have some photos and content. Yeah, that's something yeah. I should have done. I, I, I have no idea what trend you are talking about. I have really no idea, but you feel free to fill us in. So interesting question by Shamil as well. Did you get souvenirs from all the places that you visited? Mm. I'm not an intentional collector, but occasionally if I saw something, I did grab something for, you know, my mom just to stick it to the fridge, etc. But it's not that I, like, but I need a magnet for every state. You should have got it eight magnets, Diego. That's, that's something you just should have done. Nah. <laughs> I, okay, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was very conscious of my luggage. I spent 53 days. Listen, listen, don't, you, you can't say conscious of your luggage when we're talking about magnets. Like we're talking about. Yeah, no, no, magnets is Like, yeah, no, no, magnets is fine. Magnets is fine. I, I did get a few, but it wasn't intentional, but I spent 53 days in the U.S. with just a carry-on, literally just a carry-on, which saves me about 200 or 250 dollars oh, yeah. from luggage flights. On flights, I completely understand. Also, the weight is less. Yeah. Your much less. You just, just hop you out of the plane and you're out. Yeah. And you're out. So that, that, that's a trick on, you know, you know, packing your stuff very strategically, packing things that you could mix and match. That are light, full, small, spill resistant, etc. So, yeah, I was very conscious on my, the space I had. So, so let's get it quickly because Luciano is talking about Asian food, the trend. Yes. Okay, yeah, there, there is a trend there. And you completely agree. But I want to jump into Danny's comment because he's mentioning taking a <laughs> taking tourists to visit the pet. So, give them a experience at a sense of danger. So what I really want to know now, before we get back to the clothing, because we have questions on that, Diego, but if you would bring a tourist to one underground spot in Suriname, what would it be and why? Like food-wise, right? Or should we do food and drink? Food? Like, Danny basically said, if he said that, that is an experience. <laughs> No, but is that, would that be that if you're like, I'm going to give you some awesome food that you're not familiar with, that it's available in Suriname, but I'm going to take you to a place where nobody talks about what, what's, what's place would that be? I can't recall a place immediately. Most of the stuff is usually homemade. 
or, you know, someone special makes it. So I, I, I can't come up with a place on top of my head for food. Because in general, just go to the market and mix and match something. But I don't go out that much to... No, the market would be a good one. Yeah. Just, just the Sunday market. Yeah. The Sunday market would already be a... Yeah. Daddy, I'm, now now I'm waiting for an invitation for you to invite me from Korean food at your place. So you went there, I'll go there as well. We're waiting for an invitation. But for drinks, I would definitely say for Boston. I, for food, I don't know either. But for drinks, I would say Formosa. Formosa. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think definitely... I've ever been there. But yeah, food, like a, a market would be a, a, a place to experience just yeah. a lot of variety. Yeah. Definitely. Then we'll get to the next question. What did you do for clean and fresh clothing with just the carry-on? What's the trick? You, you just trick throw basically, you pack for You pack enough clothing for like eight days. That that eight day is basically a buffer day, just in case you can't, you know, do laundry or you're in transit or travel. You pack for eight days and then literally every week you do laundry. Interesting. Very interesting. So you basically have a day for you to do the laundry and get dry clothes, right? Or do you put it in a dryer as well? Yeah, you put it in a dryer. So like, do you iron your shirts at all? No. So shirts. Okay, so you get shirts that stretch out immediately and get little to no iron. Yeah, like the, the, the past three years, I've been buying clothes specifically for the purpose of travel. Like, wow, okay. <clears throat> I have to give you props on that because I went through that phase as well. Now I buy clothes that I don't have to think about what I'm wearing every day. So basically 80% of my wardrobe is just black. Yeah, and, and basically, yeah. I don't didn't even need to think about it. Like, yeah. it's just two pairs of like black pants, full small, spill resistant, very lightweight. You can go hiking with them. You can go do a business meeting with them. Basically, shirt like a lightweight shirt if you want to do outdoorsy stuff. Buttoned up shirt, long sleeves, just for a more formal occasion. And then you have shirts and button shirts, so you can combine those for different looks. Shirt only, buttoned up, shirt and look. And long sleeves are important for sunny, sunny places, especially to not get burned. You might think it gets hot, but actually it helps against the heat. Interesting. So what, what's the coldest, how many layers that you have? What's the maximum amount of layers that you needed to wear? Like in Oregon. That I wore like three. Yeah. Three? Okay. Three. And that and doesn't take enough space in your... Or do you have travel lighter jackets as well? I had a raincoat in my backpack and a jacket and towel and a towel. <laughs> that took like half of the space already. So imagine the other side. I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. By the way, I officially I officially have a place now where I'm I'm going to eat this Sunday. So yes, I'm accepting the invitation for Sunday. Yeah, it's done. And yes. Yes, you know, it's a nobody fat. He also has a smaller size. I think, yeah, you're an, definitely at an advantage, but I still have to agree that Shamil, you ferry, you travel very, very efficient. It's really interesting. I had one experience when we went to Vegas because we went to Vegas on a bachelor trip that we were traveling very, very light. 
but that was just for three days. So that was kind of like, you know, yeah, the small true. stretch bags that you could just pull out and you can just basically put one or two outfits in that. Right, right, right. So we had that, but that was just for three days. So it's a little different. And I did pack for a week. The recent trip to Cuba, I did pack also carry on. I had traveled with a carry on, but I actually still put my carry on with a lock and I still booked it as check baggage because it makes it easier to travel. I always travel kind of with my laptop bag as my. Yeah. So I basically had my carry on and my backpack. Yeah. And my backpack was filled with my uh, podcasting mic, my laptop. So I also brought equipment. <laughs> yep. But I, yeah, that, but that, tra- that does it for some reason. That's something interesting I find as well. When you travel with a laptop bag, it doesn't count as a piece of luggage. They count it as small items. So you have carry on, that is your carry on and one small item, which is either a, a backpack or a purse or something. And you'd be surprised at that, what you can fill up with a backpack. And I basically walk with my jacket outside. So that doesn't count even because it's a piece of clothing and you can fit things in your jacket. Yeah, that's, that's a little travel. (laughs) It gets a long way until it doesn't. (laughs) Trust me, I've paid, the most I've paid for excess baggage is, I think, $100. Yeah. I think my carry-on weighed like around 15 kgs. Is it, is it the maximum eight? <laughs> no, the, there is no weight limit in the. Oh, it's the, just size limit. Size, right? It's just it's size. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Europe has weight limits, which is, I find odd. Like all. Yeah. Europe has, I can tell you that Europe has yeah. weight limits because I paid a hundred euros. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I had seriously, I had nothing I could do. I ended up leaving a laptop behind in Helsinki. Yeah which I never recovered, I ended up just being like, you know what, forget about it. Yeah, which, left which my... kind of doesn't make, you know, it's weird with these rules, etc. It's in the same cabin, the same plane, space. So here's, here's something I didn't know. The airlines, the airlines with the cheapest tickets have the most expensive payment system for excessive baggage. Yeah. I avoid these airlines. Just go with an airline you, that includes it. And by the way, you do know your yeah. cameras are, right? Yeah. Give me, give me a second. You're right okay. back on. So, so that's the, that's your, it's good that you avoid them because that's my experience. The airlines with the most, with the cheapest tickets have the most expensive access baggage. I think Lufthansa or Wolf, I'm not sure. I'm not going to like, if you ever had like a Ryan Air. Ryanair. Yeah, but I've never, I've, I've flown at Ryanair multiple times and I've never been over, like I never had excess of baggage, but I, I do remember, I'm not sure which airline it was. I think it was Lufthansa, but I'm not sure about it. That booked 20 or 25 euros per excess of kilo. Yeesh. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have a way out. I was traveling back from Helsinki to Tilburg at the time and I, I there wasn't a lot of stuff I could leave behind. So I had to pack everything. And uh, another tip, like, yeah, it's, it's sometimes easier to get another check baggage than to pay for overweight. And another thing I also do is I always carry these small bags, like a small bag, extra bag within my backpack that 
turns into a big bag that you can just put things in. So it counts as one item. Yeah. So you cheat the system. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of ways. So I think it's time for a travel overrated, underrated. Let's okay. do it. So having a toothbrush with a mini travel size toothpaste, is that underrated or overrated? I'd say I actually had a normal size toothpaste, which lasted me exactly seven weeks. And I, I just bought, I bought that at my destination. I didn't bring that. So. And the TSA gave you no issues with having. No, it, it was with the limitation. Like okay. the container, like I bought on Kickstarter, a travel bag, specifically dimensions, max dimensions with a container for liquids, max dimensions specifically. So I had no issues with security whatsoever. Everything was like at the limit. <laughs> Shout out to Kickstarter. But really that, okay. So that's a really interesting, but again, the question, I, I would say face and a, a, a toothbrush available in your hand luggage in the airplane, is it overrated or underrated? Overrated. Unless you're traveling more than 24 hours. Even then I would say slightly overrated because airport, you can get stuff. If you can buy these items, especially small items easily at your destination, just buy it there. Overrated. Yeah. <laughs> traveling to the USA, overrated or underrated? Traveling to the USA. Okay. Uh, this, it really depends on how you want to answer that. For uh, tourists and for business. That, that's separated in those. I would say for both it's underrated because there's so many places you can go. Like most of these people, we tend to go to Florida, right? Either go to Miami. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's narrow it down. Miami, Florida, the state of Florida, overrated or underrated. Cause that's our entry point to the U.S. So here's the thing. I different from a lot of people. I love Florida. Even though I've been on the West coast, even though I think, yeah, there's so much more in the U S to see than just Florida. And I've recently decided that I'm not traveling through Florida if I don't have to, because we now have like a connection that takes us kind of directly to the West coast as well for business. That's definitely where I want to be. I mean, I love San Diego. I go, I, if I can go every year, I, I'll go every year. And for business, I love San Diego. I think it's one of the most interesting cities there is. I don't know quite yet how I feel about LA. I have mixed feelings. It's really huge, the city. LA feels like different cities. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. And I just don't have another way to describe it as just weird. And I kind of, because I've been to Miami and Fort Lauderdale so many times, I'm a little bit set in my ways in the things that I want to do there. Mm -hmm. And my wife doesn't particularly like that. It's something that I like. So if it's for me, I feel like I get most of my enjoyment from it. So uh, under so Florida, underrated. Still, for me, it's still underrated. Like how easy it's there. You also get accepted more easily. 
I can see yeah, it's yeah. more culturally diverse. It's more, more mixed. So it's not like getting weird glances that you would get in other states where yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. less diverse. O Oregon was one of the widest states. Yes. And it, it, isn't, it isn't necessarily that people do that, but you do feel yeah, like... You feel it. You feel it. You feel the culture and the similarities as well. Yeah. You, you go to certain places and you feel at home even though you're not at home. And for the children as well, I mean, okay, it's not Florida, but Orlando. I mean, that Disney World is like... It, 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 it's still in Florida. Yeah, it's, it's Orlando, Florida, yeah. but it's, it's, it's not Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, underrated then. All right, one more for you. What, what is overrated? The Everglades. If you're, if you're like, if you're like sort of these and you've grown up in nature, you kind of like have grown up in the interior of Suriname or have been out of the city a lot in Suriname, the Everglades is one, it's kind of a disappointment. And what, what is worrisome as well, some people like myself get the urge to jump <laughs> to the Everglades to swim yeah. or to have fun, which you should definitely not do, but, um, but yeah, for outdoor stuff, I would suggest yeah. more mid to east coast. It's yeah. more outdoorsy. Yeah. All right. Next one for you. Priority boarding. So this is actually interesting. Depending on the type of traveler you are and your flight schedule, it might be underrated, but in most cases, it's overrated, especially for the price you pay, etc. It's overrated. The reason why I say for certain situation, it could be useful is, and I see, actually see the- Connecting uh, flights, for connecting flights, yeah. For connecting Definitely. flights, for connecting flights, yeah. But that also depends on seating. So for connecting flights, sit closer to the exit, board first, and you can store away your carry-on. What often happens if you're la last priority, especially if a lot of, it's a full flight and a lot of people come with carry on, the overhead bins get filled. And if your last priority or the last group that boards, yours gets automatically checked. And then you're still stuck with that. You know, you gotta go, go get it at baggage claim, et cetera. And that goes into your time of connecting flights. But in most cases, if you're not in a rush, if you're not too attached to your luggage, luckily in my case, I always found a slot, even though I wasn't, I wasn't last priority in, in none of the flights. So I was like in the, yeah, mid, mid to last region. But in, in most cases it's overrated. Because you'll still get into the destinations unless you have very specific reasons that you need to get out early. But if your flight's delayed, you're still screwed. <laughs> Make sure you have enough time in your connecting flights. At least one and a half hours. You never know what could happen. All right. I got uh, booked the last time because the connecting flights were too close. And I'm really thankful that they did this. <laughs> really yeah, basically my, my first connecting flight from DC to Miami, it was one and a half hours. So there was no other in-between flight to port a flight from Miami to Syria. So that's why it was delayed by a whole day. And, oh. I, and in a rebooking, I could choose my own flights because this was booked by the agency. So I, I couldn't choose 
but at the rebooking, I could choose my own flight. So I took an earlier flight just in case there was some delay, etc. So you have enough time, especially if you're connecting flight, it's once, once a day. If there's multiple flights, all right, then that's all right, fine. That's fine. But when you have a connecting flight, just, just take the one with the most leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. your next, uh, okay. Noise canceling headphones. For me, it's totally overrated. I mean, like, airplane noise doesn't bother me at all. It's not the airplane noise, man. Like, when, once I got, got my noise canceling headphones, literally a baby sits next to you and you can't. No, but that's, but just to be clear, just to be clear, when I talk about airplane noise, I'm including kids and babies. Ah. Uh, like, first of all, let's remind everyone that noise canceling headphones don't take away the kid behind you sitting, uh, kicking in your seat. That's what we have to Like if you have a bad seat, you just have a bad seat. You're going to have to deal with it the whole flight. You're able to get up mid-flight. You can walk around. You can sit somewhere else. You maybe may be able to do a couple of other things. But if you have a bad seat, you have a bad seat. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later. But when you're a parent like myself, you will really look at crying babies and crying small children in an airplane, you really look at it differently. Okay. Like yeah. when you travel, when you, when you don't have children and you travel and you have a, like a small child or a baby that's crying and kicking the whole time, you get annoyed. When you're a parent and you see another parent struggling with their child, not being able to control them, you're, you feel like, oh, I feel for you because I've been through that phase. Okay, that's I've a been through point. that phase yeah. twice with my children when they're at a certain age that you can't control them because they're not old enough to talk to you and have a, like an understanding conversation on what's going on and they just feel uncomfortable and they just let it out. So once you're a parent and you've experienced that, once you see small children crying or babies crying, you kind of empathize more towards it and it doesn't bother you as much as then when you're, when you're not a parent. So that's, that's my, my, again, I understand. But about the seating, my next underrated, overrated is preferred seating. Overrated or under. Again, this comes with your flight preferences. And if you need to get up early, I personally prefer window seats, but in general, I, I don't care if I can select my seat, uh, I'll uh, select it, but I'm not going to the middle seat at all. No. I, I, that, 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 wait, again, this comes with, if you're sitting in between two big people, that's going to be <laughs> no, the middle seat in general, it's like, no, I, you have to find, first of all, you have to fight for an armrest. So whenever I'm sitting on aisle or window, if I'm sitting on window, I yeah, you can lean on the, the window, window. Yeah. and I give my armrest to the people sitting in. in the yeah. middle. If I'm on the aisle side, I have to be careful to lean on the outside because that cart will hit you. Yeah. But I will also leave the middle armrest, the middle the armrest for the middle person as well, if needed. You're considerate. Yeah, I'm considerate. considerate. But because yeah, I, I when you are in the middle seat, 
and you have to fight for the armrest, it's the most wow, terrible experience. Uh, here's the thing. For me, it's still overrated because I'm fairly slim, small, so I don't really need the armrest. I can, you know, entertain myself in between. <laughs> for me, it's heavily underrated. Like, for instance, the red-eye flight, especially the flight from California to, to Florida, if you have one of those flights at night, you need preferred seating room. Either, either, either emergency exit seat, which has extra leg room, but some American Airlines models have like really interesting seating where you can get like super leg room because you have a row of two and then you have a row of three behind it. And a person to the left has like, not just his own space, but there's no seat in front. So we have extra, extra leg room. Those seats are heavily, heavily underrated. And you can also get the situation, which we also had, that you get a seat plan from a different airplane that you're going <laughs> okay. to Okay, that, that never happened. That, that never happened. No, that's messed up. We, we, I actually experienced that twice now in the past year. So okay. window seats for the win, definitely <laughs> you can use nice cancellation headphones or just get seat growth. And how about your experiences with jet lag? So luckily for me, I didn't have much jet lag yes i travel from the east coast to the west coast and back to the east coast back to the west coast but i slept enough one thing to not underestimate especially if you travel a lot find a rest day in between the travels just to rest because the worst thing that can happen to you especially if you're traveling alone you get so fucked up that you can't even move <laughs> Just don't get jet lag. No, the worst experience for me is not the jet lag. The worst experience is flying from the West Coast to the East Coast, leaving the West Coast like 10, 11 p.m. and getting in like 4, 5 p.m. on the East Coast. It's terrible. If you, if you have a car that you can drive and go and you can check in early, it's great. But most cases, like for instance, the San Diego, the red-eyed flight, which is the cheapest flight from San Diego yeah. to Miami is 10 p.m. to like four o'clock in the morning flight. It's terrible. And then the flight, even if it's five o'clock in the morning, the flight to Suriname leaves at 5 p.m. So you have 12 hours from five in the morning till 5 p.m. And Miami Dade Airport is one of the coldest airport stories. Mm. It's just cold. Yeah. I just, always have a jacket with you. That's. And then you have to survive those 12 hours, which is grueling, which often means that either you go get out of the airport or you have to get a day room. But if you get a day room, the day rooms are probably only available on 10, 11 in the morning. So you still have to survive for six hours in the cold with your luggage, which I recently figured out there's a storage area as well, where you can leave your check bag behind as well. That already helps so much because you kind of, you can move around, you can finally do something. I guess two more questions. One is Wi-Fi in the airplane overrated or underrated? I guess it's overrated. Like if you mean Wi-Fi as in connections internet? to get messages, yeah. internet, I'd say overrated. See the flight on the plane as an opportunity to do other stuff, like use your brain, rest, etc. I don't agree uh, with that part. <laughs> but get disconnected from the internet to 
not be caught up with everything happening in the world. So basically what I did on my flights back, I downloaded YouTube videos, like hour long podcast, and I just ran through those. That's one way to go at it. But secondly, the main reason why Wi-Fi on a plane is overrated, the airplanes that offer Wi-Fi have a damn good entertainment system often. Often yeah. you already have a really good entertainment Yeah, so you don't need it either. But either you have local television and you can just watch, for, in my case, you can just watch ESPN the whole flight. Or you have a very good selection of movie. Yeah. Like I, my recent trip, I couldn't finish all the movies that I wanted to watch, which were just three. I didn't even get to finish three movies. So that gives you a perception. And then you get disappointed when you're in an old plane that doesn't have a proper entertainment system. But in general, yes, Wi-Fi on the airplane. Yeah, overrated. overrated. And then the last question, what's the best food in the airplane? What's the best food that you can remember having? The best food in the airplane is the one you bring yourself. <laughs> I have I have good experiences with certain areas food. Yeah. Always, always. If there, there, there are one thing Suriname Airways can be applauded for, is the airplane. Yeah, really good food. Suriname Airways has good food. But Always has good if you're food. traveling Europe, US, airplane food is... The, the, the worst airplane food I had was churros. But these were like, I don't know if they were microwaves. I don't know what they did with it. But it was just like uh, churro, which was... I don't feel it was properly cooked. Just draped in, in chocolate syrup or something and that was that was the meal it was like wait what, what's this <laughs> what i always have with me is like two or three those uh, protein bars or energy bars with chocolate nuts and i always have two or three in my backpack just in case just to hold me or whatever and that's enough it's basically a meal pack small and gives you enough energy and I always have a water bottle with you. That's a good advice. Always have a water bottle. Definitely good advice. So Diego, I think we did a pretty damn good job of, yeah, doing a traveling episode. I didn't, yeah. we have her, we have her done that. So that's nice. No, cause okay. we could, this is the first time I could really travel after coming back and cool. Uh, cool. You, yeah, you traveled earlier this year a lot as well. So yeah, I was, uh, I, I gotta say like with all the restrictions being like, you know, no more testing, etc. Feels pretty oh, okay. good. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Only like, how, how many airlines did you still have to wear your mask? None. Wow. That's good. It was op optional everywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't have that experience. I had to keep them all on the airport and in the airport for the last travel. Yeah, literally, I think the the weekend after I arrived there, like everything was, you know, simplified or was less strict. Was basically normal again, if, if you want to call it that. Awesome. So next week we have another guest, finally. Uh, from the USA, Mr. Hollow. And uh, from there on out, we're going to switch it up a little bit. 
behind the scenes, we're slowly working on getting our guest lifts up until the end of the year. So we're looking forward to that. Diego, any closing remarks? No, this was great to give a recap, sharing the travel experiences, some tips, ways to travel. I, I should maybe make a how-to post our video. On you have to make a high post. Literally, and very economically as well. Like, I, I didn't spend that much. Awesome. We look forward to seeing your high force. This episode will be released on confos.com. You will be able to listen to it there and watch it on Diego's YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to Diego's YouTube page. And of course, this episode is also available to rewatch on Twitch, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. This was Confos. See See you back next week. Next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.